So I kind of wanted to talk about the overview. If we did a mini series podcast on just the trailer build, there's typically kind of two aspects of, you know, the mobile bar industry. One is like the trailer and the build, you know, and the draft components. And the second side of it is all the business side of it, where, you know, running your business, the licenses needed. That's some good stuff. You know, and we don't, I don't really want to get into that part of it. Right? Okay. We just want to get into the build part. Sure. Right. And then talk, kind of talk about our deadline. So we have, like our deadline is Kayla's wedding. Right. So for all the listeners, my daughter's getting married here at the end of May, May 20th. So that's what we're going to use the trailer for. So we do have a hard deadline. Probably a couple of days before the 20th. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. But it, I mean, it's going to be fairly easy to meet that deadline given what we're doing with it. So I'm not that concerned about it. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I'm not really concerned about it either. We're going to, after the talk we had today, we've, I think we're going to keep it fairly simple. Yeah. And that's something I've struggled with. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because the sky's the limit in options and what you can do. But as far as like tap walls or, you know, speed racks or whatever but we're just pouring beer from it so our equipment just sitting in it is the best option yeah we were going to get complicated with tap walls and but i don't think that's a bad idea in the future probably with a deadline and being that this is the first one agree it simple is probably probably pretty appropriate yeah i agree with it like the one i picked out well just saw it it's it was easy like there's nothing aesthetically that needed to be done to it so it wasn't rusty it wasn't you know three different colors it was going to be easy like as a bone as a structure right so all we have to do is fit it for pouring beer and that's what we're good at so that's why i went that route and like in looking at all the mobile bars that i've seen you know, functionality and aesthetics are the two things that people seem to focus on. <clears throat> Whether they're the person pouring the beer or the person getting the drinks. You know, most people aren't going to notice minor flaws. And sometimes they're, you know, that's part of the deal. Like you have an old horse trailer, it's going to have little dings and scratches here and there, and it's not going to be an issue. It's going to kind of fit with the motif. But we were fortunate that this trailer doesn't need any of that work done to it. Yeah. The wheels are the only thing that jumped out at me that yep. said, well, those need to be fixed or painted. Yeah, and that'll be easy enough. But I see a lot of trailers out there that are just, to me, overdone. Maybe that's just because I'm not a bartender. I don't know. What do you mean by overdone? Like too many permanent fixtures inside. I've like if it were me, I want as much space to move around as possible, and that's why like the tap wall thing to me didn't make sense because then you're handcuffed. Like if you're at an event where it's all mixed drinks and you're not batching, then all you're doing is wasting space by having a permanent tap wall there. You just got squ- dead square footage. Yeah, basically in that corner where nobody would be doing anything. Yeah, just, or if empty. just leave that shelf open. You can have a you know coffee and donuts the next morning or whatever. Yeah, and who knows how busy it gets? Maybe you need an extra hand back there. 
Yeah. If you're serving a bunch of mixed drinks or whatever, you know, maybe somebody else needs to run back there and whatever, there'll be space for an extra person where you're not climbing on top of each other. Yeah. And if you have a permanent two foot by six foot shelf behind you that is holding nothing because you don't need anything to be held there, then all of a sudden that's just space that you can't use. For sure. And you're running into each other. But again, maybe I'm wrong. We haven't served out of it yet. Yeah, so. and that's the thing. There's this. We don't know what. We don't know. Sort of seems like there's an element of that, especially for me. Yeah, I've, I've never. <laughs> well, we've we've poured at so many events, like the Michigan Brewers Guild Winter Conference, right? So we're set up, and the most sensible thing to do is have two jockey boxes sitting on a table, because people just want beer. And I mean, we're building this thing that is just a vessel to move beer from a keg into a glass. But, you know, we as human beings have to complicate shit and make (laughs) it look pretty, right? Which I'm I'm an advocate for, for sure. But it's like, it seems like every time we're like, oh, we want to have this event, let's do this and this. Or we just put a jockey box on a table and everybody gets ice cold beer. I don't know, some spalted maple, some, you know, some some well-thought-out lighting. It'll look pretty fancy. Yeah, for sure. It'll definitely look awesome. That's Especially once we get the jockey boxes in there <laughs> and the wood up. Yeah, I think it fits our personality of, of being mobile and adaptable. Yeah, absolutely. And if you get too pretty, like I'd be worried about shit breaking. Like if we're pouring like if we're pouring beer like drinks at a wedding, you want it to be pretty. But if you're at the UP beer fest and you're serving beer out of that thing and you know, you have a couple, shit's gonna get dirty and knocked over and Yeah. You know. Well, there's gotta be a balance probably. Yeah. If you're for sure. And to your point. Like keeping it simple, if we build a tap wall, you know, that's four more contact points where there could be a failure. And you're not, you know, with the jumper boxes are awesome. And that's another thing that I've noticed with the mobile bars is people want to see a tap tower or a tap wall. You know, they want that bar feel. So I do get that. And I think a lot of the times the reason why people don't just go towards jockey boxes is because they don't know about us and so they're imagining like you know a shitty frat boy four tap red jockey box sitting in their beautiful white and gold trailer right Fo- obviously that's an eyesore their, yeah, foaming their beer up yeah right but the best way to pour beer mobily is through directly through a jockey box and so that's kind of why we gravitated to that we are talking about incorporating a jumper box in there for content purposes and just to show that they are a functional need for some for that setup if you want to pour out of the tower. So we'll see what we do there. Yeah, it's a hard decision when you're thinking about the aesthetic part of it or you know, where the functionality part of it's more important. I need this beer to come out proper and not foamy. Yeah, and that especially since we've done so many summer beer fests you get people that, like, if you're running a mobile bar, odds are you're not buying the beer because most states, if you're serving it, you can't, right? Like, right. if you're the mobile bar, you have to have the person that rents the bar from you buy the beer. 
And if they're handling the beer and they bring you a keg that's 80 degrees, you put that in a just a standard kegerator, it's going to take six hours for it to not pour foam. Right. Whereas a jockey box will compensate for that, and you're pouring cold beer immediately. So when I see all these mobile bars with kegerators in them, I just shake my head because I can envision that happening more often than not, where somebody's like, oh, I grabbed that keg before I went to work, and it's been sitting in the living room for eight hours, you know? Right. That seems like a putting a kegerator in there seems like an awful lot of work for that situation. And yeah. it doesn't seem like that situation would go away. Right. No matter how many times you tried to pour beer out of a kegerator. Yeah, in a perfect world, it would be ice cold and you put it in the kegerator and everything's fine. But that's not always going to happen. So did we decide on a sink or not? We did not decide yet. Um, I think initially we're going to go without it. Okay. Given what we're using it for. Now, what about ice? It's always uh, like a top, seems to be a topic of discussion quite a bit for, you know, whether it's holding ice or serving ice. Right. That's a really good question. And it all probably just goes back to what what we're going to be serving out of there, right? I mean, you need ice in the, in the jockey boxes. Right. But if we're just serving beer, then you don't need ice, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, some people... Other than for the jockey boxes. Right, yeah. But if it is a mobile bar, and we do need to serve ice, like drinks with ice, that's a really good question. Like, where do you go? Where do you put it? How do you... Yeah, that would be a different animal for sure. sure. And I would... We would focus on that if we were serving things that required ice. So, again, that's like... And I'm a victim of paralysis by overanalysis for sure. Every thirty seconds of my life. So when we got into when I walk into that trailer, I'm like, oh, we should do this, we should do this. But then, you know, again, just goes back to we're just pouring beer, so let's just use jockey boxes. Gotcha. I mean, that thing we're not doing anything to that trailer that can't be undone or updated or changed. Right. Like, I mean, we're obviously cleaning it up and fixing it up and making it work the way we need it to work and putting the stuff we need in there. But um, getting through this first episode of of turning a trailer into a bar, I think it'll teach us all kinds of stuff for putting a sink in there, making a place for ice. I mean, just getting through the first one, I think, is a big deal. For sure. Like, if we had a business plan, if if we were building this trailer to operate a business, it would make decision-making a lot easier. Like, we have Kayla's wedding, which is awesome. That gives us direction. Right. But but knowing that our direction is just pouring carbonated beverages, it, I mean, it made it easier for us, but it also doesn't necessarily touch on the important aspects of having a mobile bar for For people that are serving mixed drinks. That's a really good point. And that's almost another conversation, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and just to catch everybody up, uh, Kayla's not allowed to have liquor at the location that she's uh, getting having her wedding at. So it's just beer and wine. So wine will be poured out of, you know, we'll probably get boxed wine and go that route. But so this is just for beer, and we'll probably tap some champagne or something. But 
we don't have we don't have hard liquor at this, so we don't really need to worry about ice too much. And we'll have ice water on tap in s- strategic lo- locations throughout the the property and kegged water and single tap jockey boxes and stuff, so people can get can get their own cold water. So this will just be for the beer and champagne. Gotcha. The the champagne is that going to be bottles? No, actually, what we're going to do is uh, keg some white, and then we'll That's carbonate it. Awesome, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it works out well. Have yeah. you done it before? Yep. Cool. Homemade champagne almost? Yeah. yeah. So going to that point, if it were me having, again, I'm not a mixologist, so we talked about this a little bit earlier. Like, I enjoy... We'll do mimosas and Bloody Marys at Beer Fest sometimes, and I enjoy that, but we batch them, so we're just, you know, we've got our two-gallon keg that we, you know, mix the Bloody Marys in, and then it's just like pouring a beer, except you have a glass of ice, and that's easy. I don't mind that. I wouldn't want to, you know, have dehydrated limes back there and all that, you know, mixing old fashions one at a time. Like, that to me is just not anything that I would want to do. Yeah. That, I mean... That's almost like hiring a bartender. I mean, like, yeah. a, like you, I wouldn't know. I would, I would know how to do it, but well, and I think a lot. The majority of the people that start these mobile bars are bartenders okay, by trade, sense. so they know what they're doing. But I mean, with the horse trailers, more often than not, I would think you're gonna see them at, you know, a wedding or a baby shower or things in that vein more so than you know, the Philadelphia Eagles tailgating party. Like you're not pulling a horse trailer to that. Maybe you are. I don't maybe. Know. I mean, maybe if we lived in Philadelphia, that shit happens. But Or maybe we bring it to a Lions game. Right. <laughs> but it doesn't fit the vibe, right? No, especially kind of if point. it's prettied up and spotted maple, you know. that's That doesn't scream tailgate at the football game. No. Although, I don't know, that new Raiders stadium, what was that, $10 trillion or something like that? Know, like <laughs> Allegiant? Yeah, it looks like, like something from Star Wars. So you got the lights working, I see. Yeah, it was pretty easy. What uh, was it? Just some corrosion on one of the ground wires. Oh. Yep. Uh, they had, this is my first time ever taking a horse trailer apart, obviously, and uh, it's some of the stuff is different. The lights are not hard mounted to the rest of the frame. They're pop riveted in one spot and mm. pressed in there. It's I don't know why they do it that way. It must be it's pretty common from what I've seen on YouTube. Just a different different way of doing it, I guess. It's must be for they must have to replace them quite often, I imagine. I don't know why else you do it that way. But the lights pretty much fixed themselves, hmm. so that was easy. It's a good. Uh, I'm no electrician, so would have been probably some serious time chasing down whatever the issue was if I couldn't have found it. So, so going back to what Brian said about not being an electrician, that's not entirely true. Um, I mean, it is entirely true. He's not an electrician, but he's he's one of those people that's good at all things a little bit. Not great at anything. Just Jack kidding. of all trades. I'll take that. He's got a hell of a jump shot. Um, but, you know, we both came from 
tool and die trade, understanding metallurgy and, you know, Brian's not afraid to jump in and get his hands dirty, so he's perfect for this type of thing. If he doesn't know, he's going to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, that's... I've seen enough in 27 years in that trade Yeah, that whatever weirdness happens on a horse trailer, I think we can figure out. I think we'll sort it out. Whether it's frame issues or rust or fabricate, like we'll figure it out. There's nothing that I don't think... If what I do can't you figure out, I figure between the three or the five of us here, we can figure it out. Why do you guys think people gravitated towards two-stall horse trailers? This seems to be the most common. Is it? I mean, this is more of a question because that I, type of research I've not done. <laughs> I would think... Stop doing that. Sorry. <laughs> I would think the the horse trailer part of it is just the vibe because it's... Uh, what am I looking for? Antique kind of Barney. Yeah, Barney. Yeah. Barney. <laughs> I love you. Can you can you uh oh, beep that out? can you beep that out? It's happening again. <laughs> um this and I, and then the two stall I think is just the size. It's it's a pretty comfortable size. Easy to pull. That that thing pulls like nothing with the two axles. They're pretty heavy, which Helps with the pulling too. That would be my guess. Nothing to back that. But can you fit? Do you? Do they put two horses in there? Yeah. I mean, it feels pretty. With all three of us were standing in there, it feels pretty solid. Yeah. It's designed for two horses standing in there, but yes. And if we were using just a standard enclosed trailer, it is not sturdy at all. Yeah. So that's probably got a lot to do with it too. The weight, maybe the availability. I think room would be a pretty important factor because you can fit two people in there. I mean, it you never know how busy it's going to get or how crazy it's going to be. And if it's yeah. just enough room for one person, then you're, what do you do? If you got a horse, if you have a mobile bar and there's only room for one bartender. You get yourself a table and a jockey box <laughs> <laughs> and you pour a cold beer. And you forget about it. And people are too. Ter- I am kind of uh, a stick in the mud, I guess. I try not to be. But, you know, some of the things I see with mobile bars, it's like, why are you doing that? Like those three-wheeled carts, you know, you're not driving them. No. You So you have to trailer them, and they're so expensive. That's yeah, a giant, expensive conversation piece that yeah. isn't super functional. But when it's sitting in an art museum and people are drinking... Prosecco, is that how you say it, <laughs> out of it, then it's cool. So. It's really cool, and there's balloons attached to it or whatever. It, it, again, the aesthetics. So it's functionality and aesthetics. And so we had somebody come to us a few months back. She was starting a mobile bar, and she had one of those Ape Piaggio three-wheeled carts. She had to buy a trailer. She had to drive to Texas to pick it up. I mean, this lady is way braver than I am. Like, she's just starting this brand new business. I want to say she paid like 30 grand for that cart and it had no way to pour anything. It had taps mounted to it, like faucets, and that was it. So from a long ways away, it looks like a mobile bar. But when she got it in hand, she literally could do nothing with it. And like I said, she had to buy a trailer 
and then go to Texas. Yeah, so she had like 50 grand wrapped up into this project and couldn't even pour anything out of it. So she just jumped head first, bought the cart. Holy cow. Yeah. And so then she found us. She happened to be in Michigan, so that worked out. She found us, and we equipped it with a jumper box, and I haven't talked to her since then. I don't know if she's pouring yet, but, you know, another it cost her another couple thousand to be up and running. And it just it, it bothered me a lot to, to help her put that together, knowing that whoever she bought it from sold her a very incomplete thing. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Like sold her a bridge, essentially. And then she had to go to Texas to get a trailer. But she bought the trailer in Michigan, drove to Texas, got the gotcha. Ape, and then brought it back up here. And then realized that. And then didn't. realized she couldn't pour it. Damn. Yeah. And she reached out. I know she reached out to the company, and they didn't really have any answers. And we were definitely happy to help. And it was fun, a fun project to work on. But, I mean, it, it took us no time to install that jumper box into her existing thing. I guess my point is this company that's selling the shell of a mobile bar should be reaching out to us, buying our equipment, and then installing it before they sell it to the end user. That makes sense. That makes tons of sense. And maybe going down this road a few times will help people in that industry realize they need to contact us. Maybe they don't know yet. Yeah. And we, you know, we we want to be that that part of their equation for sure. We don't, we're not bartenders. We're not, you know, we don't want to own a mobile bar, but we know how to make make things come out cold, right? And in the end, that's the that's the point. Yeah, it's almost like start there and work backwards. Was was helping her kind of what gave you the idea to go? Definitely. You have this horse trailer? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like like I said, we didn't buy it with the intent of creating another business. It was just, I mean, we started a homebrew store, you know, seven or eight, ten, I don't know how long ago. Long ago. It was a long time ago. Because we sold a lot of equipment to homebrew stores, and we wanted to see what it was like to own a homebrew store. Turns out it's terrible. Sure. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like work. <laughs> well, I mean, it is work. Constant work without a lot of profit. So and if you don't have anything attached to that, it's difficult. Gotcha. But it was very enlightening for us. And that, and so that we kind of wanted to do the same thing with this, just see what it's like. And if you don't, like, I mean, with the, even with a little bit of knowledge we have, it's still, it would be difficult to just figure out how to build a bar. Right. So... What's my point? If you didn't have any knowledge, it would be terrifying to just buy a trailer and then try and figure out how to make it into a bar. Yeah, well, I think people that go into this do come from the like the serving side of it, right? And so they're trying to learn the business side of it, and this is where they're going to struggle, right? How do I get from? How do I get the? They've probably never thought, oh, how does how does that beer get from there to to my glass? Right, right. And I think how do you? And how do you do that in a in an environment where it's not a a balanced beer system? Like well, you add that on top of it, and it gets even more complicated. I think that's where cold breaks even more important because servers or people in the industry that think they're going to get into this mobile bar thing 
obviously have to figure out the trailer part of it. They have to figure out the business side of it. But the serving the beer right, like, that seems to trip people up all the time. And it seems like in, in Cold Break's case, like, a ton of people think, oh, I'm just going to do this myself. But then their beer gets foamy or they can't figure it out and they end up coming to Cold Break anyways, whether it's a jockey box or home brewing equipment or whatever, kegerator stuff at home. I feel like they don't put it, uh, don't give it enough credit for how difficult serving the beer is. Like, you can't just slap stuff together. Like, there is yep. science behind it. There is yep. years of research. There is help that you guys have given how many people to get to the point where you know exactly what your beer is going to do when you pour it. Yep. Because those kegs are coming out at a specific PSI, at a specific carbonation level, run on held at a specific temperature and run at a specific length to their faucet to get the beer to come out right. And it sits that way in their in their tap their tap room, right? When it's not in their tap room anymore and you you take this long draw draft system and you throw it into a jockey box, you know stuff changes. Stuff changes. You can yeah. And I could see somebody starting to bar not even or start wanting to get into this business, just not even consider that aspect of it. Right. So it's way too late. Right. So saying that, we are coming at this from a draft point of view. Like we know how to we know how to work with tools and how to weld and how to do all this kind of odd stuff, which makes us the right people to build a trailer, but we're we're tip we are running at this head first from a draft standpoint, thinking we're gonna be able to pour fourteen beers out of this trailer if we need to. And I think that's where our expertise kind of comes into yeah. play. I mean, we've all seen at certain beer festivals or events trailers that don't serve beer good. Mm-hmm. For one reason or another. Big facts. So um, we serve beer pretty good at the events I've worked, and I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, and like on top of, besides just being draft-centric for this Pacific, specific Pacific, Jesus Christ. The specific trailer. Um, we're also on private property, which means that we don't have to have hot and cold water, right? Like, right. If you're in public on public space, you need to have. As far as I know, you're supposed to have like wash, rinse, sanitize. None of that matters when we're doing what we're doing. But you know, that's all insight that we would need if we were trying to help somebody build their dream trailer right yeah yeah that's a lot of shit to consider that i would never that would never like where you're serving it that kind of dictates whatever licenses or whatever you need right like hot and cold water like that never would have just never crossed my mind that's a whole nother level yeah and i'm sure we'll get there yeah we're definitely capable. It's just a matter of oh, necessity. I, capability yeah. is definitely not the issue. I mean, we're just fighting. We're fighting. I keep saying it. We don't know what we don't know in time. Like, that's what, that's the elements we're fighting right now. Knowing how to do all that stuff, that's not definitely not the issue. I think just doing it is the hard part. Just getting the first one to a point where it's finished and we can use it. I mean, that's 
tell us everything for the next one. For sure. So in short, it's going to be pretty, definitely fun. I'm looking forward to it because it's been a little bit easier just to manipulate the metal on it than I thought it was going to be. So much easier. Is it? Yeah. It's yeah. Fun. It's, it's hard to say sometimes like my, ex- my experience is mostly from the manufacturing point of view. So the steel that I'm cutting through is a little bit thinner. Okay. And it just, I mean, it's super fun. It just cuts. It's not like everything's providing a real fight. So that part of it is fun from a fabrication point of view when you're not covered and constantly chewing on steel dust. So manipulating it is definitely a lot easier than I expected. I thought it was going to be a really thick gauge steel, you know, that I'd be chewing on grinder dust for a week and welding for a week and that we would have like all kinds of crazy painting to do, but that just was not the case. It cut easy and, you know, welded easy and it wasn't difficult. Not what I expected. Yeah, we'll see if any of that changes on the next one, but I don't foresee. Yeah, and that's something you can't predict. I mean, it just is what it is, but I think it's something you have to figure out with each one. Like, yeah, there's probably stuff we can expect but then there's also stuff that's going to be random. Yeah. Again, we bought something that didn't need really anything. Right. Right. So there's no frame issues or floorboards or yeah, anything. Yeah, like I wasn't that. like welding structural pieces back together to remove rusted out, you know, weight bearing joints or anything like that. You know, like Boyd said, everything was great that way. The bones are good. Yeah, there's a lot of trailers that people are starting with that have been obviously sitting for a very long time. Yeah. Lots of rust and need yeah. to be sandblasted and need to be... New axles and yeah. tires and all that. I mean, at that point, you might as well just build your own trailer, brand new trailer. That sounds terrible. Yeah. I mean, this is generalization, but I'm assuming that most don't have that much background in pouring draft beverages. I mean, even when we started building jockey boxes back in 2012, 2011, whatever it was, it was pretty new to us. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we all, we still have little things that pop up where we're like, oh, never thought of that. I mean, yeah. I, was, I was at a beer fest last summer, and uh, this guy who I know pretty well was pouring beer, and it was terrible. Like, it was Foam City, and it was on one of our jockey boxes. And I'm like, Ben, what's going on here? He's like, I don't know. It's seems pretty normal to me and that's, that's not normal let me check your setup and i look and he had it at 12 psi well because he's always poured it in the tap room at 12 psi that you know direct draw and natural state of the keg and i said well crank that up to 30 and he poured it the guy's been in the, in the industry for 20 plus years he pours a perfect pint and he's like oh my god i had no idea yeah yeah now you know well that's Awesome. That's exactly what I'm talking about, though. Like, even people that seem like they know what they're doing, it's just a different animal. Oh, one time I was at GABF, and, I, you know, this was back when we used our cell phones as our customer service, and so I got a call forwarded to me, and the guy's like, man, I'm really struggling here. I've got an event that's about to start in 15 minutes, and I, I'm pouring nothing but foam. Again, he owned a brewery, and I said, well, like I said, I'm in line at GABF waiting to walk in, and... uh 
the guy's just, it's an emergency state. And he's like, well, what do I, what do, I do? And I said, well, you got to crank it up to 30 PSI. Because, again, he was running at 12. And he said, 30, it's already foamy. Which he's right. It seems, you know, counterproductive to, counterintuitive. There you go. To, uh, to turn it up when it's already foaming. But the system was in balance. So I could hear him over the phone. Turns it up to 30. And he's like, yeah, I'm not really, no- oh, well, it's starting to click. Oh, my God. Oh my God, it's working! <laughs> this is amazing. And it, like he one eighty, he was so such a sad boy, and then was super duper happy. Well, yeah, within a thirty second phone call, and I was at first I was annoyed that you know I had to answer this phone call at six p.m. Mountain Time on a Thursday, but then once he was happy and well, everything was great from then on, I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, my experience with that is this year at uh, Winter Beer Fest pouring beer out of somebody else's jockey boxes. There's nothing worse than standing there trying to hand somebody a cup of foam yeah, or trying to figure it out. Like, and I could imagine if he's got an event going, like he was probably having a heart attack, like pouring foam. And if it's who I think it is, he might be having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. But you're right. Now imagine, imagine being like, you know, what little Daisy mobile bar, whatever, and you're it's your first event, yeah, and you're pouring nothing but foam like that would be so stressful. It's oh bad. my god, and not knowing the variables, like we we experience it sometimes because if somebody you know, when we do summer beer fest, it's 95 degrees out, it's in Ypsilanti, Michigan, like southeast Michigan, somebody will drive down from Traverse City, Michigan, so four hours, whatever with the keg in their back seat or in the back of their truck. So it shows up at 90 degrees to us, and the CO2 is, like, trying to leave the liquid, and there's nothing you can do about it at that point. But we know that. Right. I mean, we we were – I see it all the time with some of the biggest brands. You know, their, their reps just don't know that when you're pouring beer on – the beach in August, you need to keep your kegs cold, like cool, at least, you know, below 80. When it's 90 degrees out and the sun is beating directly on your keg, that CO2 is going to piece out and you're going to pour nothing but foam. Science. And, you know, and we always take the rap for it initially until we explain to them, and that's fine. But once we explain to them what needs to be done, that's not a problem again. So hopefully that's what this podcast will help people with answer those little, you know, because as soon as you hook your kegs up, you're 95% of the way there. There's just a few quirks that you need to know about. And once you know about those things, you'll be able to pour well anywhere. Yeah. Imagine, like, if you can answer in a podcast some of those simple things, like the PSI thing, like, I'm sure that trips a ton of people up. Absolutely. I mean, that's when you're going to start getting people that want to watch this or listen to it. That when you start answering questions that, like that well should we wrap it up yeah i think so okay because the only thing you've done so far is cut out the window so there's not much we can talk about and fix yeah. the lights so we can't really and there really wasn't talk much, about there really hasn't been much to it so i'm gonna yeah. get in there and clean out the inside of it pretty good today okay because there's some cobwebs and just it needs some general cleaning okay i mean probably both inside and outside get the horse shit out of point. it yeah, hopefully we got most of the horse shit out of there already. There but was not any. I don't even think they ever used it. Man, it's, I wonder what they were hauling the horses in then. 
I don't know. Maybe they didn't have horses. <laughs> the fuck you need a horse trailer for? A bar. <laughs> well, why isn't there a bar in it when you bought it? Somewhere out there, there's thousands of people moving horses inside of mobile bars. <laughs> 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 I need a mobile bar trailer for my horses. <laughs> then you might have a drinking problem. Or your horse <laughs> might. <laughs> And then did the floor. Did you guys I heard you guys talking about the floor. Yeah, we decided that we are going to put a floor in it and just clean it up if we need to. Gotcha. Because it's just gonna look better from the from the outside looking in, right? Like you know the the phrase don't look in the kitchen. I'm paraphrasing. For sure. You never want to see the kitchen, right, in a restaurant because right. it's gonna I that's the opposite in the beer world, which is where we're coming from. Like, the coolest breweries are the ones that you can see inside the yeah, brewery. Yeah, trans- transparent. Yeah, and we, there's no reason not to be. No. I mean. Inevitably, I'm, somebody's going to want to look. Everybody's going to want to look inside of that yeah. thing. When they see it, they're going to be like, oh, can I take a peek inside? Yeah. I want to climb in there and see what's going on. Okay, let's wrap it up. So this, <laughs> uh, yes, this would be the the introduction to our mini series podcast on a quick mobile bar mobile bar build out of a horse trailer for the wedding coming up here in a few weeks. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. We'll keep you guys updated as we go along and hopefully we're going to try to do it weekly. If not every, you know, seven to 10 days, we'll try to give a quick update on where we're at. The progress we've made, Decisions we've made and troubles we've run into. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds great. See you next time. We will see you guys next time. Later.